Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Jude, starting in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Good morning. This will be my final Sunday before I go on sabbatical, and I will be back August 15th, so see you then. And looking at which book to study before I headed out, I really resonated with Jude because there are subjects that I would look forward to talking about, that things that are a little bit more on the happy side, kind of like salvation or love or mercy or peace, but I really felt that I kind of resonated with what Jude had because here we read that in verse 3 that he was eager to write about the common salvation. So like a happy subject, a, a nice subject to write about. But then he found it necessary to write an appeal for us to contend for the faith. And so it got me thinking uh, as parting words for the next three and a half months that this would be more fitting. And why is that? He goes on in verse 4 and he writes, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so you look at this phrase, contend for the faith, and the Greek word for contend there in verse 3 is more than just contend as translated to the English language, but we need to add this word in front of contend, and it's to earnestly contend. It's to struggle for. But before we got to this contending for the faith, last week we took a closer look at who Jude was, to look at his heart, to look at his character, and to see that he was actually a humble man, calling himself a servant of Jesus, even though he was Jesus' half-brother. He's Jesus' younger brother. But he identifies himself as a servant of God, that his prayer for us is one that is of mercy and peace and love. And this is really important to keep in mind because Jude was not advocating when he wrote to contend for the faith to be combative or argumentative. Rather, to be people who are merciful and peaceable and loving. So we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're not out there looking for a fight. We're not out here looking to be quarrelsome. And we're also not to be passive about addressing what is false either. When something is doctrinally wrong, when something is morally wrong, we are to address those false teachings, to address those false teachers. None of the things Jude wrote about when we're reading this thing are all that new, are they? 
If we've been following Jesus for a while, we read these things and we think, yeah, I've read that before, I know this already, which is what church is about a lot of the times. When we come here every Sunday for Sunday services and we go to small groups and we go to midweek things, and if you've been a Christian a while, like none of that stuff is new. Like when you go to a home group, like you've heard that before. When you come to a Sunday service, you've heard this before. Most of what we attend and we go to just serves as a reminder. Very seldom is it like something really new. Usually it's about the basics. Usually it's the fundamentals. We studied 2 Peter about a year and a half ago. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12-13, through 13, Peter wrote this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And Peter told us why he wrote First and Second Peter. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, he wrote this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So when we look at Jude, it's nothing new. Jude is reminding us of similar things and what we do together as a church every Sunday, meeting in small groups, it's similar. Where It's a reminder. And sometimes we learn something that we never knew before, and most of the time it's a reminder, something that we've already heard, something that we already know. Jude, verse 5, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did, who did not believe. And then you look to verse 17, and he writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Reminders. Very common. Many of you know Jesus saves. Many of you know what Jesus taught. But we all need to be reminded because all of us have these inconsistencies in our life in how we live and what we know. Don't we? There's all these inconsistencies. So Jude points out certain people who have crept in unnoticed in verse 4. And then he makes a reference to these people. These people. And you look at verses 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 19. It's all in reference to these people. And he's not pointing out a specific group of people in regards to race or gender or age or anything like that as much as he's pointing a type of person to a type of person. People who defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme all that they do not understand, grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And he's pointing those people out as people who have crept in unnoticed, which means these people are just like, they have awesome ninja skills. They've crept in unnoticed. Or it could mean like the church is just oblivious to people entering it and just kind of naive to the dangers. Or maybe it's a combination of both where these people have awesome ninja skills sneak in and the people here are just oblivious to it. And however they crept in, they're here and they're blending in really well. They speak the language, they speak Christianese, and they look the part, you know, they do the part, and they just kind of fit in. And what's scary is that the church can be just unaware that these people are even here in the pew sitting right next to you. 
So look at the person next to you and just say, I know you're here and I hope you're not one of these people. And you know who you are already probably, but Christians in the church, you know what we do? We tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't go out there with a judgmental, or at least this church doesn't, or a condemning attitude to be like, hey, yeah, that person's a false prophet, or that person. We tend not to do that. We tend to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it is the ones who have crept in unnoticed that we're concerned about. And sometimes the church is just not aware of these things, because we don't want to be like that. We want to just welcome people in. And so what is Jude leaving this letter to the church all about? And so here it is in a nutshell. When we look at verses 1 through 4, he's just telling these guys, you know what? What I really wanted to write about was just a happy thing. I wanted to write about salvation. I wanted to write about that, and I couldn't because there's this really serious issue that I have to address, and you're part of the solution to this. You guys will need to contend for the faith. That's verses 1 through 4. And then in verses 5 through 16, he says, our problems are really serious, and here's some historical evidence to back me up. And so verses 5 through 16, he's giving these historical examples of what happened to those people who didn't build themselves up in the faith, who didn't pray in the Holy Spirit, keep themselves in the love of God, wait for the mercy of Jesus, verses 20 through 21. And through those historical examples, you can see that things didn't work out very well for them. And so he points that out. Paul serves these reminders too in examples, right? Chapter 10, verses 6 and 11, he wrote, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. It's just reminders. Verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. To learn from the past, to learn from history, and then in verses 17 through 25, Jude writes what needs to happen, beginning with, remember. You've got to remember those lessons from verses 5 through 16 and what happened. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, notice Jude's heart with him addressing the recipients of this letter as beloved. Beloved. Because this is what Jude was about. He was about mercy, peace, and love. What Jude wrote to his audience was out of love. He says, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this word apostles simply means sent ones, right? Sent from God. And this is what Jesus told them in Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, or innocent as doves. Jesus also told them in John chapter 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So our authority comes from the Bible, from the apostles that have written this from the spirit of truth, what we have today in our Bible. And so that same spirit in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. The apostles warn us about false teachers and their teachings in a lot of the Bible. 
And it's not a surprise to read such things. It's a reminder over and over again. Paul warns us in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 32. He writes, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance amongst all who are sanctified. And this is what I'm attempting to do before I leave for three and a half months. I want to leave you with this. Now, verses 18 and 19 in Jude, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Who are we as the church? What are we to do? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, it reads this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we are to be alert to those who cause divisions, to those who are contrary to Ephesians 4 and Jude warns us of them in verse 12 these are hidden reefs guys they're not going to be out in the open they're going to be below the surface we're going to be sailing along and then we're going to hit something and it's these hidden reefs are below that you did not expect you could not see and that's these people they're hidden reefs they're hidden they're Unnoticed, they've crept in unnoticed. They're worldly people devoid of the Spirit, as verse 19 shares with us. Now, a telltale sign of unveiling these hidden reefs is that they will pervert the grace of God into sensuality. This is so common. This is really common. This is the type of person that blurs the lines between what is righteous with what is unrighteous in regards to sensuality mostly in regards to sexual things. Right, so they will cause confusion between what is holy and doing what one wants and saying that that is freedom. And they will confuse the two, thinking that one can be a follower of Jesus as long as they have faith, but then they lack the morality, which is the evidence of one's faith. And so all those things are just muddled. Now look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You read here that we are to build ourselves up in our faith, to pray in the Holy Spirit and to keep ourselves in the love of God. So how do we do this? Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-10 through 10 reads this. For this very reason, make every effort, every effort to supplement your faith 
with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. See, there's effort on our part. Make every effort. Be all the more diligent. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The patience of God. The patience of God when we sin. The patience of God when we sin is not to be misinterpreted as permission from God to say that that's okay. It's not. It is not okay to sin. Oh, we love each other. Oh, you have all these different excuses for sin. And so when God is so patient with us when we sin, don't misunderstand that patience for his consent that it's okay. He does not give permission or consent to sin. We are to make every effort to be diligent in how we live for God. Jude tells us in verse 21 to keep yourselves in the love of God. You notice that this is really active, that this is not passivity. It's saying build yourselves up. Build yourselves up. Praying. Keep yourselves See, there's this effort. There's a part that we take in our spiritual lives. We have responsibility. We have a part in this. So please don't use the excuse of grace, of patience, of your sins and sinful actions and thoughts. It's not one and the same. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. You know the thing that we need to do and we're so afraid to do is to call sin, sin. We have issues with this. We want to be really open and we want to be accepting and all these things. I get it. I get it. But it says keep yourself in the love of God. And in order to do that, we need to call sin, sin. We have to be able to discern what separates us from God and what unifies us to God. Sin separates us from God. So if we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, we have to be able to distinguish between what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Sin is sin. And we must keep that out in order to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, how is a practical way that this is lived out? Who do we associate ourselves with? I mean, this is something we teach our own children, isn't it? Who do you hang around with? Who do you surround yourself with? Now, there's no way that I'm advocating that every friend of yours, that every acquaintance of yours is a follower of Jesus because that is just simply weird. <laughs> That's just weird. Like every single acquaintance of yours is a Christian? Like, if that's the case, then how are we to be light in darkness? How are we to be salt in 
like tasteless places. Like, how is that to be? We have to be out there, right? There's so much darkness around us. There's so many places that need the gospel. So by no means am I saying like, oh, everything around you needs to be Christian. That's how you do it. Because if you find yourself in that place, you'll ask somebody what you're like and they'll say you're weird. That's what they'll say. But who are the most influential people in your life? I'm not saying that they have to be Christ followers. An influential person in my life is my mother, and she by no means is a Christian. But here's something that she does for me, is she does move me towards righteousness. She does question me of compromise, because she knows what the Bible is. She knows I'm a Christian, so she'll be saying, like, are you supposed to do that as a Christian? Do they help keep you in the love of God, or do they move you from the love of God? Because there are some Christians that can move you from the love of God, too. Right? So, like, looking at those types of things, who you surround yourself with and who you're relating to. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, you notice that that's active. That's not passive. Just as building yourselves up, praying, keeping yourselves waiting, and even the waiting is active. It's not that you're just passively waiting and just letting time come by because when you're not active, you are actually weakening, aren't you? Your strength is not developed unless you are actively doing something about it. If you have great intentions and you always think about it, it still does you no good, right? I just completed a Tuesday night circuit workout (laughs) in my head. It was really hard. (laughs) I'm so proud of myself. I could see myself like doing 50 burpees. I'm really strong now. I've just improved so much. I can run a marathon. I can even get dressed. And I can bring my water bottle and I can bring my workout towel and I can drive to this parking lot and go to the gym on Tuesday night and I can sit there. But if I don't do what they're doing, it didn't happen. And so often this is people in the church. You come to church, you get dressed for it, you come here on a Sunday, you're involved in a small group, and you do all these things, but you've not evangelized a single person for the last year, for the last month, for the last week. You've not discipled a person in your life. You're just kind of showing up It's not doing you any good. You're not growing. You're not getting stronger. You're like me in a Tuesday night circuit. I am still flabby. I didn't do the Tuesday night workout. I don't even have the intention to do that, though, to tell you the truth. Like, I I don't. I just, I, I don't. But for those of you who are, who are here on Sunday, it, it'd be like me showing up on Tuesday night, every Tuesday night, like hanging out. Why? And so you're just coming every Sunday and you're just hanging out like, why? You're just getting flabby. You got to be active. You got to do something, right? It doesn't just happen. Build yourselves. Pray, keeping yourselves. And even the waiting is active, right? But we have to do something. We have to put forth effort. Paul wrote this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Do not grow weary in doing good. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. We are to be zealous 
for good works. And you notice that building and praying and keeping and waiting, these are all in the present participle, meaning this is continuous. We're never done with this. We are to be constantly putting effort towards these things. Also notice that yourselves, it's plural. Because we don't do this in isolation. And yes, we have times of private retreat and prayer and study and silence and all these types of things. But there are times that we are to do this in community. Lastly, notice this about yourselves. That it is yourselves. It's you. That you are to take responsibility for this spiritual development, for this spiritual maturation. You know, when you're flying in an airplane and the air cabin pressure changes and they go through the video and they put the instructions, what do they instruct you to do? Put the mask on yourself before you put it on anyone else, right? They tell you that, which is a really hard thing to do, especially if you're traveling with loved ones and have kids and you're like, well, I want to take care of my kids and I want to do that. Well, you know what? If that happened to me with the number of kids I had, I'll be long dead before I get that mask on myself. We need to put the mask on ourselves before we can help other people. And it's similarly the same case here. You got to take care of your own spiritual life before you start doing stuff for other people. You got to live the part. You got to be real. That you are building yourselves up, keeping yourselves up so that you can be of use to other people. When Jesus told Peter this, this here's an example of this. Jesus told Peter, follow me in John chapter 21. And now pick up the story in verse 20. And this is so much like my daughter's, but here it is. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so it's the same thing with my kids. I gotta tell my kids something like, what about her? It has nothing to do with your sister. I'm talking to you. Like, you're to do this. That has nothing to do with her. So we are to take care of our own spiritual growth, and you're not to be like, well, what about him? Well, what about her? Worry about yourself. Follow me, Jesus says. You follow me. And so building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. In verse 22 it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. And you'll notice that Jude bookends this whole thing with mercy, right? In verse 2 he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And here it's mercy. So Jude has been addressing this beloved community throughout his letter. And for the most part he's been addressing people who have a relationship with Jesus. Now we know Jude to be a merciful person. He's just like his brother Jesus. And he wants the readers of this letter to remember those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know what? Have mercy on those who doubt. So we have this thing that tells us to contend for the faith. And then we have this thing that says have mercy on those who doubt. And sometimes we have issues of doing both of those things simultaneously. Because how do you do that? Well... How is this done? And Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul also wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. 
And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So we are to contend for the faith and to have mercy on those who doubt. It is both. It is not just grace, and it is not just truth. It is both grace and truth, and this is Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now some people, they're just all grace. And they're just all mercy. And I liken these people to being like limp noodles. They're just mushy. And then on the other side of things, you have people that are just all truth. And they're all about contending. You're just a jerk. That's what it is, right? You're just jerky. We are to be both. Like al dente noodles. It's the best. That's how it is. Somewhere in between, right? Not too mushy where it's just like, ugh. And not like crunching from the like spaghetti. Like you don't want to be either one of those. Not a jerk and not limpy noodles. You want something in between. That's kind of like what you want. Contending for the faith and having mercy on those who doubt. When someone doubts the teachings of Jesus, hear them out. Listen to them. Try to attempt to understand and empathize and answer those questions. Research it with them if you don't know it themselves. Now, most people here, you're good at this. You really are. We have story after story of people who have come to know Jesus because you're a community like this. We don't have too many people here who just blast others out of the water with their doubt. We don't have too many jerky people. Now, we have some of you here, like you know who you are, right? You're just kind of jerky. You know who you are. Stop, okay? But if you've experienced interaction with that jerky person, all you have to do here at this church is talk to someone else. Because they're a minority. If you bump into two of them at the same time, don't play the lottery that week. It's just not happening for you. But the thing is, is like most of the people here aren't that grumpy person who you encounter. And if they are, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. It's not the majority of the people here. You just happen to bump into that guy. Most of the people here, we're good at this. We do have mercy on those who doubt. And if anything, we're probably more limpy noodle. So maybe more of us need to be able to like move over like the al dente side, like not be so mushy, like, you know, do that. Now verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, contending for the faith while showing mercy, saving others by snatching them out of the fire. You know, that only happens through the gospel. It's not like you're like, oh, that was hot, right? You don't do that. And for those who don't accept the gospel, we're to show them mercy. But we're to show them mercy without compromise. You don't kind of lower the bar of righteousness or holiness so that they can make it in. That's not helping them. Having even the garments stained by the flesh, we can't compromise on it. It's all of it. John writes about these who have washed their robes and made them white 
in the blood of the lamb in Revelation. And so this in Jude is also a picture of purification, of forgiveness, of transformation of the entire person, that not even their garment stained by the flesh, we can't even allow that. That's a compromise. Not even that small piece. God wants all of it. In our repentance, there needs to be a transformation of heart, mind, and spirit that our entire being is changed into the likeness of Jesus, that our new life in Jesus Christ brings about a new lifestyle, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, you and I have a lot to do. Thank God that it's not entirely dependent on us. When we're not able, God is able. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Psalm 121 is a very, very popular psalm. That whenever someone is traveling up, ascending up to Jerusalem, every time, this is a very common psalm for them to recite. And so let me share with you this psalm. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He's able. He's able to do these things. And to present you blameless. Now how is that possible? Through Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Without Jesus, we are guilty. We're guilty of our sins. So he is the one who presents us blameless this is the power of the gospel jesus taking our sins upon himself so we are blameless before god romans chapter 3 verses 23 through 26 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. By his grace we are saved. We can't earn that salvation. And in response to receiving that gift of grace, we are to put forth effort building ourselves up, praying, keeping ourselves, and waiting for Jesus' return. You and I cannot do anything for God to make him love us. He already does. There's nothing you can do for God's love. But in acknowledgement, in recognition, in accepting that love from God, there then is an effort for us to put forth which shows us that we indeed do have a relationship with God. It's just proof of that. Now verse 25. To the only God... Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let me close us with 
a psalm. It's Psalm 139. Just the first 10 verses to show us the character of God, that God is indeed the God of Jude 25. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for your mercy, for your peace. May we be like Jude, Lord. May we be able to contend for the faith while showing mercy on those who doubt. Lord, may you help us to build ourselves up, to pray, to keep ourselves, to wait in an active way, Lord, not just kind of in my mind or with well good intentions, but that we're actually doing something to get stronger, to actually build ourselves to that place. So Lord, equip this church to go about doing amazing things for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.